Uh, so we're going to talk about going from awkward to awesome. Several of us are feeling awkward, looking awkward, <laughs> acting awkward. Um, but awkward is not bad. Awkward is not awful. There he goes. He got, he got, the, got the two AWs. Awkward is not awful. Um, awkward simply means that you've never been in that position before. You've never been in that situation before. And really, as a church, City Chapel, we are kind of in a position, in a place that we've never been before. We've, uh, I've never been the pastor of a church. We've never been uh, a year old before. We just started a year ago, and we're here in a new place. And, and uh, so there's some awkwardness, really, to even, even us as a church with regard to our systems and our structure. We're still ironing things out, and hopefully we will always be ironing things out. Hopefully, hopefully at some level, we're always in some kind of awkward stage. Because <laughs> if you're not in any kind of awkwardness, then that means you're not going anywhere. You're not growing. You've, you've, you've basically arrived and now you can sit back. And, and I don't ever want to arrive. I always want to be moving forward. And so it's not a bad thing to say that, that you're feeling some awkwardness. Uh, if you have, you know, if, if, if you decide to get married, there's going to be some awkwardness. Um, if, but, but you're moving forward. If you decide to have kids after you're married, there's going to be some awkwardness. But it's part of life. It's part of developing. It's part of taking the next step. And so I want to encourage you to not be ashamed of being awkward. Awkward's not awful, but awkward is a sign that you're moving forward. And so, uh, but we do want to move from awkward to awesome. And the idea of this sermon um, series came from Emilio. Um, Emilio gave me the name, and then I just kind of ran with it. And um, what I did is I, I started looking at the life of, of Jacob. And so we're going to continue that. We started the first week and we looked at Jacob's birth and Jacob's um, old years. He was 97 years old when he wrestled with the angel. And we talked about how, how, how it's important to first establish your identity. Before you move from awkward to awesome, you first have to figure out who you are. First who and then what. Uh, last week we talked about bowls and birthrights. Um, does anybody remember bowls and birthrights? Anything? Was, it, did, was, that, was that helpful to anybody as we talked about bowls and birthrights? Two people. Awesome. That's good. Oh, thank you. That's so encouraging to your pastor. I think I'll just go home right now. Um, <clears throat> uh, today, today we're going we're gonna to look at the next step. And actually, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 26. Most of the time when people preach on Jacob, they skip Genesis chapter 26. They, we, 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 were, we were in Genesis chapter 25 last week because that talks about Jacob and Esau. But then 26 is this kind of weird chapter that doesn't mention Jacob and Esau at all. Instead, it talks a lot about Jacob's dad. And so I want to cover Genesis chapter 26 because... I'm an order person, so I can't go from 25 to 27. I just can't do it. Uh, number one. But, but number two, I think that how you grow up actually affects a lot of who you are. One of the reasons why Jacob is awkward is because Isaac is his dad. <laughs> and so I, I think as we look at Isaac's life, some of the mistakes that he made, but also some of the good things that he did, we're going to understand a little bit more about Jacob. And so I got a lot of scripture to read to you today, so I need to get started. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 says, Now there was a famine in the land. Um, seems like a lot of good Bible stories start with that. Uh, famine is, is, is a bummer in, in any society. Um, we've been in a drought here in Texas for the previous I don't know, what, five years? Um, and then suddenly, like last month, we got out of it uh, because it just rained so much. But famine isn't good for anybody, especially, you know, 3,000 years ago in the Middle East. It's especially bad. Uh, there was this famine in land, meaning it's not raining. And they're in the desert. Uh, the Holy Spirit lets us know that Dash, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, in other words, every generation is going to get their own famine. 
so Abraham had a famine, and now the Holy Spirit says, hey, th- there was a famine in the land, and this is different. This isn't Abraham's famine. This is Isaac's famine, okay? So there's this famine in the land, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Now, that's very interesting because this is Genesis chapter 26. If you go to Genesis chapter 20, you're going to read about another famine in the land, the famine of Abraham. <clears throat> and guess what Abraham did? Abraham went to a certain king named Abimelech, who was king of the Philistines in Gerar. It's interesting how, how often we pattern our lives, and we don't even mean to, but we end up doing the same thing that our parents did. If you can't say amen, then just say, oh me, or oh my, or yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Now, I know when you're a teenager, you think you'll never do it. I know, I know, like uh, you're 22, and you like you got life figured out. But when you get to be 36, you're like, my dad used to say that. My, my, my mom used to do it. Anyway, you're going to figure out that, that, that if, you're, if you're kind of on autopilot, your natural response is going to be pretty darn similar to what your parents did. Now, what was interesting with Abraham, Abraham went to Gerar. He went to Abimelech. He stayed there for a while, got in trouble, got kicked out. And then Abraham went down to Egypt. And that wasn't a good idea either. And so, so Isaac... His famine of land. Isaac goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. That's when the Lord, in verse 2, speaks to him. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I see where you're going here, son. <laughs> Do not go down to Egypt. In other words, I saw your dad go to Gerar, and then your dad went to Egypt. Let me just, let me just cut you off here, Isaac. Do not go to Egypt. I love this next statement. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Come on, somebody. That, that, that basically could be the whole sermon right there. Live in the land where I tell you to live. In other words, don't operate on your instinct. Don't just do what your parents did. Instead, listen to me. Like, do what I tell you, not necessarily what your instincts say. Listen to me. Live in the land where I tell you to live. And so verse 3, he says, stay in this land for a while. And I will be with you. I will bless you. Now, this is his promise. For to you and your descendants, I will give all of these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's talking about Jesus. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is the only offspring of the Jews that has blessed all of the earth. So he's saying the, the, the Messiah is going to come through your offspring because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Now, just... Just to get a little bit of background, if you turn the page in your Bible, go back to Genesis chapter 20. Abraham, Isaac's dad, Abraham goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. While he's there, he looks at his wife, Sarah, and says, you're so hot. This is a compliment, really. But you're so hot that I'm going to have to tell everybody that you are my sister. Now, it's interesting, the exact same thing that Isaac did. I mean, exact. exact almost the wording is almost word for word, the exact same thing. He tells his wife, I'm going to have to tell everybody that you are my sister. You tell everybody that you are my sister, so that way the people won't kill me. 
All right, so the reasoning is even the same. And so, so Abraham and Sarah, they're in Gerar, king of Bimelech, notices that Sarah is hot. Oh, it's, it's her sister. And so, and so king Abimelech calls Sarah to come to the palace and they're going to get married, <laughs> so to speak. And, um, that's when God appears to King Abimelech in a dream and says, look, dude, the, the lady you just took and that you're planning on marrying, uh, she's already married and uh, you better give her back kind of thing. And so Abimelech calls Abraham in and says, what's, what's going on? You told me, you know, she was your sister. And, and Abraham says, well, I was afraid that you would kill me. That's why we said, and so Abimelech says, you need to get out of here. That's why Abraham ended up leaving Gerar. That's why he went down to Egypt because King Abimelech uh, almost slept with his wife. You got to love the Bible. It's so, it's so, I mean, where else are you going to get this kind of story, right? So at the same time, Isaac does the exact same thing. He says, man, you are so hot that we got to tell everybody that we're, we're sister and brother. Verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time, him and his sister, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac... <laughs> caressing his wife, Rebecca. Come on, somebody. The Bible is kind of PG, sort of. I don't know. It depends on how you take that. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, you and your dad are so weird. What, what is up with the sister-wife thing? Like, are you sisters or are you... He says, she is really... Your wife, why did you say she is my sister? So Isaac answered and said, Because I thought I would lose, lose my life on account of her. And Abimelech says, Yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> Abimelech says, What is this you've done to us? One of the men might have well slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Now, Abimelech doesn't kick him out. He just, he just says, look, we're, we're not going to talk to you because <laughs> you're obviously, you've got problems. You're awkward. <laughs> you, are, you have some issues. You need to see a therapist, something. Verse 12, Isaac planted crops. By the way, you never really read of any of the patriarchs doing what Isaac is doing right here. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. That's a pretty good return. A hundredfold the same year. Uh, most historians say that that part of the country usually reaps around 25-fold. So he's, he's, he's killing it. He's doing great. A hundred, he reaps a hundredfold in the same year because the Lord blessed him. The man, Isaac, became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Verse 15, this is what they did when they envied him. So all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. Then the Philistines envied him. It's, it's interesting. Not everybody's going to celebrate your success. Uh, that's true in the physical world. There are you, you, you may have friends who, who like to share in your pity party, but that's only because you make them feel better about their lives. But as soon as you start succeeding, there are some people that are not going to be that happy about your success, primarily because of envy. 
Because you're kind of rising above. And this is true in the physical world, but it's also true spiritually. Whenever you decide to become fruitful in your spiritual life, whenever you start getting closer to God and good things start growing up in your life, good fruit starts growing in the field of your life, there are people that are not going to be thrilled about what God is doing in your life because in, in, in some ways they're, they're going to be losing you know, their drinking partner or some other kind of partner. They're going to be losing sort of the, the old you and they kind of liked the old you. They kind of like the fruitless you. They kind of like the, 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 the down and out you, the, the weird you, the, the lying about your wife and sister thing you. Like there are some people that are sort of with you uh, in the famine, but whenever you start uh, prospering, whenever there's some growth in your life, they're not necessarily going to stick with you through the growth. This is what happens with the Philistines. They decided, they decided that, that Isaac wasn't that great of a guy. They, they envied him and they didn't like him anymore. Why? Because of his fruitfulness. But at the same time, they, there, are a phys, there are physical um, uh, friends and, and uh, colleagues and, and even family members that, that may have a hard time with any kind of growth in your life. There are, there's also, we know absolutely that there is spiritual forces that are not going to be happy about growth in your life. One of the reasons why we stay in a place of awkwardness is exactly this, because we have an enemy and we believe in an enemy. We don't, we don't glorify the enemy much, but uh, the Bible calls him the devil or Beelzebub or Satan or Lucifer or Lord of the Flies or whatever you want. There's some different titles for him. Uh, but essentially, he is an anti-God spirit that is anti-anything God in your life. He doesn't mind other stuff, but, 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 but he is anti-God in your life. He's anti-fruit. He doesn't want to see fruit in your field. He doesn't want to see good stuff growing up in your life. And, 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 and as soon as you start prospering, as soon as there's some good fruit that starts appearing in your life, then you kind of get on his radar. And so, you know, I, I, we, we, don't, we don't want to glorify the devil much, but you really ought to be aware that not everybody's going to celebrate your success. That you're coming to church, you're going to small group, you're getting closer to God, your family's getting closer to God, you're starting to have family prayer time, and you're reading the Bible, and you're starting to grow and learn, and, and God's blessing, God's blessing some finances, God's, God's blessing you on your job, there's some blessing going on, and you're thinking, hey, this is pretty good. That is pretty good, but you do need to be aware that not everybody's going to celebrate. Not everybody's going to be happy for your Success. There's an enemy out there who, as soon as you start prospering, as soon as you start becoming fruitful, that's when he decides to attack. That's when he decides to, to try to take you down. But look at the strategy. I love, I love this scripture because it shows us, I think it shows us really one of the key ways that the enemy comes against us. And you need to understand that, number one, you have an enemy. And number two, he is coming against you if you're growing at all in your life. And number three, this is the way that he typically does it. Notice, they, 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 they became envious of him and so they stopped up the... Okay. We got a whole nother slide for you. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, if we could go back to the previous scripture that we were reading, because this is what they did. Because this other scripture has, doesn't really have anything to do with it. But what they did was they. Th- okay, so this is verse seventeen. Let's go on back to uh, was it verse twelve? I think I think it's verse twelve. Um, we're just kind of going along there. Yep. Okay, so it's after this one, verse eleven, and then verse twelve. Awesome. Nice. Okay, so, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug, they stopped them up. 
It's interesting. They didn't they didn't like go to the field and set the field on fire. They didn't like go to the herd of cattle that that Isaac had and start killing the herd. Um, someone's uh, Jim's building me an, an AR fifteen, so that would work really well, you know, for like like just boom boom, you just one shot. Uh, they didn't try to kill the herd. They didn't they didn't touch the servants. They didn't deal with the well. They are they, they they didn't deal with the field at all. The, the the success of Isaac seemed to stay intact. They didn't attack his success. And the enemy usually won't attack you in your place of success. He usually won't attack you in your, your place of fruitfulness. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't go for his place of fruitfulness in the field. Instead, they went all the way back to his place of water. Remember, they're in a famine. And so how do you think he grew the crops? You don't grow crops without water. And so he had to go to his father's wells that were just outside of the city of Gerard, there in the valley. He had to go to those wells and bring water in order to water his plants. And then he had to go to the wells to bring water in order to water his, his, his livestock. And then he had to go to the wells and bring water in order to water his family. And so the enemy oftentimes doesn't attack our success. He often doesn't attack the fruitfulness of the field. Instead, he attacks the source of our fruitfulness. So his, his first attack is not to come at you at your field or at your job or at your marriage or in your finances. Th- 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 that's not where the enemy does his best work. He does his best work at the source of your fruitfulness. He goes to the wells. He goes to where you're drawing life from. He goes to where you're drawing goodness from and life from that enable the fruitfulness because like this is this is what happens for us in our lives. Oftentimes we come to God, we make a decision to follow Jesus, and it's good and it's right and it feels right, but it's difficult. And so we start changing our lives, and we start praying every day, and we start reading the Bible, even though we don't understand it. We start going to church, even though. And so we start doing the things that we feel that we ought to do. We get closer and closer to God, and it's difficult. But then after a while, but we we're, we're digging a well, right? We're 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 having this well like Abraham had, and the well is a place that we can draw water, even though water's not coming from the sky. We can have a source of water in our life that's continually flowing, the source of life. Jesus Christ said he is the water of life. And so we bring him into our life. We bring this water into our life. We bring this refreshment into our life. And out of that, we start to see, after some time, we start to see some fruitfulness. And it's like, yeah, marriage starts getting better. People start treating each other nice. Uh, the kids start acting nice. I mean, things start to get a little bit better. We start to see some growth and we see some stuff that's never been there before. And we say, wow, this is amazing. And the, the temptation is to get so excited about the fruitful field that we forget about the source. Because you see, you don't, like, you don't fill a well in overnight. These wells were about 240 feet deep, about six feet across in a big circle. You can't just like walk up with your, with your, with your, with your shovel and bucket, you know, and, 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 and chuck a, a couple shovelfuls of dirt in there and fill this up. This is going to take the enemies a while to fill this thing up, which means, which tells me that Isaac hadn't been there in a while. And so what you neglect, what you don't visit frequently is exactly where the enemy will start filling up, starts stopping up. He doesn't stop up the field, he stops up the flow. <laughs> and so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be vigilant about guarding your flow. You gotta be vigilant about guarding your place of connection with Jesus because that's where he attacks. 
And you don't even know it because the, the field's still fruitful. The crops are still there. The herd's still there. The family's still there. Everything's great. Why do we need to go outside of town, drag water in? I mean, we're doing pretty good out here. Don't you think? We're doing pretty good here in the city. We're, we've got fruitfulness. We're all so good. I really don't have time to read my Bible anymore because, you know, well, like my life's getting kind of busy. And I mean, church, that's the one day I can go to the beach. And, and you know, it's all this stuff. starts. Our fruitfulness gets us lazy with regard to our flow. And then we say, well, it's, it's all good. You know, we're still, we're still doing pretty good. But it doesn't take long. When the enemy can stop up your flow, he can starve your field. And it just happens naturally. But that's when Pastor Harry gets an email. That's when the prayer team is called. Oh my goodness, my field's drying up. God, the enemy's attacking my job. He's attacking my marriage. No, 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 no. He attacked it six months ago and he stopped up your source and now you're just dealing with the consequences of no water in your life. <laughs> Can I just be real for a minute? That's just what... I, this, I, this, these are the things I, li- I would like to tell people in person, but I don't quite have the guts. So I'm telling you all, and you guys can just, just take it if it applies. I mean, this is, this, is, this is real. This is why. This is why I check in with people. How are you doing? How's it going? Oh, everything's great. No, I'm not asking about your field. I'm asking about your flow. Are you connected in the secret place? Are you connected in the dark when nobody's watching? Because exterior fruitfulness comes from interior flow. And so you've got to keep the flow that you, that you started with. You get fruitfulness. And I, hey, I do it too. I understand completely. I can get fruitful and suddenly just be like, oh, I don't, really, I don't need to be that faithful because now I'm fruitful. But the faithfulness that brought fruitfulness, you have to keep in order to keep the fruitfulness. Like the enemy doesn't, like sometimes I don't even think the enemy bothers attacking people's finances because he changes their flow in their heart to where they they want material things. They want status and stuff. And so all their money ends up going to status and stuff. And then they get so in debt trying to get status and stuff. And then they say the enemy's attacking my finances. No, he's not. He, He attacked your flow a long time ago. Your value system changed. You weren't drawing from Jesus anymore. You were drawing from what you were driving and what you were wearing in the house that you were living in. You didn't even have to attack your finances. You attacked your finances. He attacked your flow. And your dry life is sucking your finances out. I don't, half the time, I don't even think the enemy has to attack marriages. He just has to get, he just has to get one of you to change your allegiance from looking to Jesus and drawing from Jesus. And now I'm going to draw from my spouse. And instead of, and instead, and your spouse can never give you what Jesus is supposed to give you. And so naturally, you're now, you have no water in your life. And stuff stops growing and stuff starts dying. And it's not because the devil is attacking you. It's because he already attacked you and stopped up your flow. And you look around and say, whoa, what time, time out, what's going on? But the, the beauty of it, the beauty of it is that this is exactly when Abimelech says to Isaac, you need to get out of here. <laughs> he, evicts him, uh, he evicts him in the middle of his fruitfulness. Which is often what happens. We get evicted from our field. If you don't protect your flow, you're not going to stay in your field much longer. He gets evicted from his field. And I love, I love what Isaac did because, because what Isaac did is actually quite different from what we are tempted to do. We are often tempted to fight for our field. Right? We're often tempted to say, well, no, 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 no. Like, this is, this is my field. I planted this. It's really, really important to me because, because we attach ourselves to our success. But what I love about what Isaac did is Isaac didn't bother doing that. Isaac actually looked at the situation he was in. 
um, the, the sermon series that we're preaching, Awkward to Awesome, um, uh, was, of course, Emilio's idea, so I got to give him props for the title. Um, but it, it, was, it was my idea to kind of take that, 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 um, that statement and apply it to the life of Jacob, as well as another book, which I haven't even mentioned, but there's a book out there called Good to Great. Has anybody ever read Good to Great? Jim Collins. Um, it's a book that me and Roe read. It's a business book, not a Christian book at all. Um, it's a business book. Me and Roe read this book when we were planting City Chapel, and God used it so much in our lives that we even took our, our staff through it, and we, we've, I've been preaching through it. And, um, and so when you, live, when you hear the title Awkward to Awesome, it's very similar to Good to Great because I'm actually using some principles from Good to Great in Awkward to Awesome. And so one of those principles uh, that Jim Collins says is you have to, you have to, you, you have to um, uh, look at, you have to deal with the brutal facts, what he calls the brutal facts of reality. And this isn't easy for Texans, uh, I've noticed. I'm from Michigan. So uh, one of, the, one of the, the very fine gentlemen that was helping us today, um, I walked up to him before church started and I said, your flies open. Because I'm that kind of guy. Because that's the kind of friend I want to have. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want the kind of people that are like, hey, good to see you. God bless you, brother. You know, it's like, no, someone needs to tell me. If, you know, if, if, if the barn door's open, someone needs to let me know that the barn door's open. Just shout it out. I don't care. Let me, if I got stuff between my teeth, tell me I got stuff between my, if I got a booger hanging down, tell me I got a booger. If I'm eating pizza, get a little bit of cheese stuck on my chin, tell me that, like, that, that, I want some honesty. You know what I'm saying? But, but I came to Texas and everybody's so nice all the time that nobody really wants to tell you when your flies open or you got cheese on your chin you know everybody just kind of laughs at you behind your back instead which is so much nicer guys i love that i appreciate that thank you it's very awkward exactly um but no, this this is very helpful not just with cheese and zippers and stuff but it's, it's helpful in real life to approach the brutal facts of reality I love that jacob he approaches the brutal facts and he, he deduces that it's better actually that we leave the field. He doesn't fight for the field because he has a strong sense of reality. Because he knows that even if he gets his field working, even if he gets into that field and gets that going, gets a miracle grow, you know, and kind of gets it going, he knows that his well has been stopped up. He knows that he can't, his source of water can't. And so when Abimelech banishes him, uh, the, 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 very, the, the very next scripture says that Isaac, he moves away. So Isaac moved away from there and he encamped in the valley of Gerar, which is where the wells were, and that's where he settled. And Isaac, I love what he did here, he reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, which the Philistines had stopped up. And he gave them the same names his father had given him. We can leave that slide up because we're going to stay on that scripture and then I'm going to close. It's so important that even in the midst of dire circumstances that you maintain a clear view of the brutal facts of reality. You guys ever heard of Winston Churchill? He was a major, major player in World War II, um, British Parliament. He basically spearheaded uh, 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 getting the U.S. into the war. Um, but there was a time in which uh, England was really pretty much on their own. Uh, Hitler was, was rampaging through Europe. Uh, he had the strongest air force that the world had ever seen. 
uh, and uh, Hitler hadn't yet turned on Stalin. Um, and so he was basically having a one-front war marching to England. And they finally got to England. They bombed the heck out of London. I mean, just bomb after bomb, dropping, dropping, raid after raid after raid. And, and the primary voice throughout all of that was a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. He was, he was sort of the, 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 the solidifying voice of faith. Because it's important that you, that you see things the way they are. And Winston Churchill had a way of seeing things exactly the way that they were. But he still had great faith. He still had great faith. Because I think oftentimes whenever we see great faith, we think of it as optimism. But Winston Churchill didn't have that. In fact, Winston, uh, in one of, the speeches, one of the speeches that he delivered, he said, We are resolved to destroy Hitler and every vestige of the Nazi regime. From this, nothing will turn us. Nothing. We will never parlay. We will never negotiate with Hitler or any of his game. We shall fight him by land. We shall fight him by sea. We shall fight him in the air until, with God's help, we have rid the earth of his shadow. Come on, somebody. Amen. I, I like Winston Churchill. That's some faith-filled statements, especially when you're looking at the strongest, one of the strongest armies in the world, and they're knocking on your doorstep, and the, the U.S. is over here, you know, we're, we're trying to stay out of the combat. And he says, we're going to fight, and we're going to fight, and we're going to win, and we're going to destroy them, and it's going to be great. But at the same time, he knew that simple optimism, simple faith, always needs an address. You need to tie it to something. You need to tie. If you have faith, if you look at if you look at your life and you say, "Man, my field is drying up." If you look at your life, "Man, my my wells have been stopped up." You have to you have to recognize that, confront the brutal reality of that. Don't make excuses. Don't blame other people. Don't look around and say, "Well, it's because of the famine or it's because of the season or it's because so and so let me down and my friends and this and that." Don't you have to look at the brutal facts of the reality that your well, your place of 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 source of strength has been stopped up. You have allowed that to happen. You have allowed the enemy to do what you never should have allowed the enemy to do. You have to become come face to face with the brutal reality, but you can never lose faith. Winston Churchill never lost faith. He said, we're going to win this thing. And he's facing some brutal reality. And so in order to help him with the brutal reality, he developed a, a whole new um, uh, section of government called the Statistical Office. And the, the, the only job of the Statistical Office was throughout World War II uh, was to report to Winston Churchill every single day and give him the statistics of how many men died in this area and that area and that area. How many, how, how are we doing? Numbers. Give me numbers. Don't tell me how you feel. Tell me what, where we are at. Which, by the way, Hitler didn't have this. Hitler had a group of people that were so afraid of him that even when they were doing poorly, they just lied about it. Um, and, so, and so Winston said, I want actual facts. And in his, in, in his diary he wrote, he said, I have no need of cheery dreams because facts are better than dreams. But often what we, what we want is we want to soften reality. We, want, we don't really want to take a hard look at what's really going on in our lives. And so we, 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 we call it faith, but it's really just blind optimism. We say, oh, everything's going to work out. I have a feeling next week's going to be better. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling. I feeling next, next month's going to be better. 
Yeah. Look, if you're not doing anything different this week than you were doing last week, next week's probably not going to be much different than this week. <laughs> like, you, like, I hate to break it to you, but like, you know, at some point, like, you, you, it, you just this blind optimism that we're going to win, we're going to beat Hitler. Well, ah, that's good and all, but you have to have a plan. You have to understand the score. You got to know where you stand. You have to look at your life with brutal reality and say, where are we? How many wells exactly are stopped up? Exactly how deep is this well? You've got to look some brutal reality. And then you have to hold on to hope. You have to hold on to faith. Uh, Admiral Stockdale was a, was a POW, was a prisoner of war. Um, I think it was in the Korean War uh, for eight years. Um, Jim Stockdale uh, was one of the highest ranked United States military, military officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp. Uh, during the height of the Vietnam War, he was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment. Uh, he lived without certainty of whether he would survive or see his family. He shouldered the burden of his command even while he was in captivity. Uh, he, created, he created an internal system for the prisoners to speak to each other through a type of Morse code, only using 25 um, letters. And um, uh, even, even when they were... S- Put in solitary confinement, they found ways of like while they were mopping the floor to be able to walk, to mop in the certain uh, code to be able to communicate to each other. He 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 also developed a certain way to handle torture. So after X amount of minutes, you you can say this. After X amount of minutes, you can say that because nobody can endure torture like without any kind of uh, goals or any kind of steps. And um, Jim Collins interviewed uh, Stockdale and walked with him, and, and, he said, and he said, man, it looks so bleak for you. You didn't know you were going to get out. How did you get out? And Stockdale said, well, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith that I was not only going to survive, but that I was going to get out and I was going to turn this experience into the defining moment of my life. Never lost that faith. Jim, Jim thought, man, this is... That's powerful. That's amazing faith. That's awesome. And so then Jim said, well, who are the guys who didn't survive? And Stockdale said, well, that's easy. It's the optimists. And Jim was kind of confused because he thought, well, sound like you're pretty optimistic right there. And he said, no, 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 no. It's the guys who said, hey, we'll be out by Christmas. We're definitely going to be out by Christmas. Christmas would come. Christmas would go. We'll, we'll, we'll be out by Easter for sure. Easter would come. Easter would go. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving would come and they basically died of a broken heart because disappointment after disappointment was layered upon disappointment. The difference is not, is when, when, when you approach the brutal facts of reality, you have to recognize you are in a prison camp and you don't know when you're going to get out. You have to figure out how you're going to keep yourself sane while you're in there. And so your faith can't just be this, this hope as, as right around the corner, as a breakthrough is coming. It can't just be that. You've got to attach your faith to an action right now. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God is alive and active. In other words, it's alive. You feel something, but it's also active. It gives you steps to take to move toward the end goal. So, yes, you have to maintain faith in the end of the story. Jacob, or Isaac is maintaining faith in the end of the story that God said that he would multiply his descendants like the sand of the sea and that he would own all of this land. He never lost faith in the end of the story, but he attached his faith to an action in the middle of the story that would help him get to the end. 
In other words, when he, when he comes back to that place, he comes to these wells, 240 feet deep, six feet wide, circle across, and he grabs a shovel and he starts digging. And at every single foot, he knows he's got 240 feet to go. And so today, he's got 204, he's got 236 feet to go after today. And then he's got 232 feet after the next day. And he's got 228 feet after the next day. And every, every foot that he's digging down deeper, he knows, he knows that when he hits that 240 foot level, that there is water at the bottom of this well, that the enemy may have been able to pile dirt on top of the source, but he hasn't been able to stop the source that is at the bottom of this well. And if I can just dig deep enough, if I can just dig long enough, if I can shovel my way down to that water, I know that the end of the story is going to be better than the middle of the story. But, but, but it takes some undying faith in the middle of difficulty to say, I'm going to do what I can do today to get to where I need to be tomorrow. That's real faith. Faith is not just, well, I hope it's going to work out. It's going to be great. Amen, brothers. No, no, no. Faith, faith isn't even, you know, looking at the full well saying, well, that well is not stopped up. That's an empty well by God. That's a beautiful well. No, that's optimism. Call it what it is. Call it what it is and then get to work. Pick up a shovel and dig it out. The dirt that the enemy has thrown over your source can be removed. It was removed at one time. The water hasn't stopped flowing. The power of God hasn't stopped flowing. You, you're just 240 feet removed. You got 240 feet worth of flesh or dirt that's on top of all of that. And you just need to get your shovel and get some of you out of the way so that you can get down to the water that God has for you. You can never lose faith in the end of the story. But you can... You can, you can be real and honest about where you're at in the story right now. <laughs> he, he, he not only redug the wells, but he also named the wells what his father had named them. It's interesting. I studied like all over the place, tried to find what in the world had his father named these wells. I couldn't find anything, even like rabbinical writings. Nobody even has any opinion. Nobody knows. Father Abraham named them something, and then apparently when the Philistines filled them in, the Philistines named them something else. Which is my last thought to you. You need to be careful to not let your enemy relabel. Don't let him relabel your past. He calls, he, he, he says, he says, well, my dad used to call it this. The Philistines called it that. So we're going, we're going to nix that, and we're going to call it what it was when it was built. We're going to call it what, what my father called it. We're going to call it what my, what my dad called it when he dug it. He called it something. I, we don't even know what it was. And it, obviously, the Holy Spirit doesn't think it's important for us to know. But, but all that the Holy Spirit does want us to know is that whenever the enemy attempts to stop up the flow in your life, he also attempts to relabel the flow. He also attempts to relabel your past. And so you'll look back on a decision that you made and you'll call that a failure. And you'll call that a mistake. And, you'll, and, and if you're not careful, you'll call yourself a failure. And you'll call yourself a mistake. 
and he'll re, he'll relabel the way that you look back based on your current situation. So based on the current situation, when, when, when Isaac came to the well, it had all this dirt in it. It obviously did not look like a well where there was water, which is probably some kind of way that Abraham called it. But, so it, it looked like something different. And so because of that, that time, oftentimes we rename things that happened in our past. We re, rename our baptism. We rename the moment when we were saved. We call it, a, we call it something different because of the history that has come between that time and now because of the dirt that's been piled on between that commitment and now (laughs) but you need to take that new name off (laughs) just scratch it off don't allow the enemy to relabel what your father called you when he dug the well What what he called you what he called you in the beginning when you were when you were 30 seconds old don't allow the enemy to relabel that <laughs> what he called the family that you were born don't allow the enemy to relabel that what he called the marriage when it started don't allow the enemy to relabel that if you're not careful the enemy will change the way you talk about your past and the way you think about your past and if he can if he can rename your past he can redirect your future and so not only do you need to dig and, and get yourself out of the way, because that's really what the dirt, I think, symbolizes, is that dirt is flesh. we got a lot of dirt in here because we are all dirt. When we die, we go back to dirt. And so dirt fills in the well. The enemy fuels and fills in the well with, with our own fuel, with our own selfishness. He fills it all in. So not only do we need to get that out of the way, but we need to stop calling it what the enemy calls it. We need to start calling it what our father calls it. Just call it what your dad called it when he dug it. And so let's just close our eyes for just a moment and bow our heads. And I just want us to go to the Lord in prayer for, for two minutes. And I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you, but I do, feel like, I do feel like some of us have some wells in our life that we haven't visited in a while. Some of us have some, some, some source in our life that we haven't been taking advantage of. The Wesley brothers would call it means of grace. In other words, there are wells in your life that if you just go to them, you'll find the grace that you need. It's a means of grace. It's a channel by which God's grace comes to you. But when we, when we avoid the wells, when we avoid the channels that God has, has chosen for us, then, then, then we end up parched and dry and weary and dying. So some of us just need to make a decision today, just a conscious decision to look at the brutal facts of our current situation and decide that we're not going to give up hope on the end of the story just yet. But there's some wells that we can start digging. There's some wells that we can go to and that we know that we have had life in that area before and we know that it's still there. And that's just a simple decision between you and God that you say, I'm going back to the well that I used to frequent. I've gotten away from it. I, I got distracted by fruitfulness. I got distracted. I got, I got lazy and I just forgot. Hmm. Well, there's others, there's others of us that just need to make that decision for the first time that I'm going to come to the well of Jesus, to the source of life. I'm tired of trying to operate my field on my own. I need, I need a fresh well. And if you want to make that decision today, would you just raise your hand and let me know that you're making that decision and that uh, you're going to follow Jesus from this day forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay, go ahead and pray with me. If you raise your hand, go ahead and pray with me and just say, Dear God, I need you. And I choose to follow you. 
I receive the life-giving water of Jesus. Forgive me for going my own way. I will follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. For others, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Lord, I bless our people here within the sound of my voice watching online, uh, listening to the podcast. Just bless them that you are going to you're going to set up circumstances to allow them to see reality <clears throat> I thank you for the Abimelechs in our life that kick us out of our fields I thank you for them because even though they, the enemy thinks that he's doing us a great disservice and he's, he's really not, he's just attacking our field and he's sending us back to our flow <laughs> it's such, he, thinks, he thinks he's destroying us but he's just getting us back to our source for everyone that's, that's lost their job, lost their spouse, lost the child, lost the loved one, everyone that has suffered loss in the field, I thank you for every loss that we have suffered. I thank you for everything that takes our eyes off of this world and puts it on things above. I thank you for everything that confronts our brutal, the brutal reality of our situation that we desperately need God. pray that you would remove everything that says otherwise, every voice that says otherwise in our life, even success. <laughs> success is, is as big a liar as failure. Lord, help us, help us to listen, not for the voice of our parents or what our parents have always done, not for the voice of success, but help us to listen for the voice of God. Help us to hear the voice of God, to live where you want us to live, to do what you want us to do, and to, and to receive the source from the place that you dug in the beginning turn away from what the enemy calls us from what our enemies call us we look to you for our name, we look to you for our source in Jesus name we pray, Amen